Hello everyone and welcome to BYOB Bring Your Own Blockbuster episode number 11. We are flying through them at the moment. Um, it's been so much fun so far and the amazing movies just keep on coming. We're going to go through another classic today and as ever I'm joined by podcasting royalty uh, 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 oh god i was gonna say something i was gonna try and do like what's it called assonance again where you sort of say like <laughs> the, the the same letter at the beginning of every word and i was like what could be a t that goes next to titan tit <laughs> the tits titan of podcasting <laughs> jack Cassie, how are you it, buddy I mean, you're if, right. if you want to say, you're on that kind of like podcasting royalty you could say look it's it's a coronation year but the only oh. royalty we care about is and then you see yeah yes, and then rolled in you know, and then that, that, it's a bit it's a bit egotistical for me to say that about myself isn't it also so, I, I i know you've got much nicer hands than king charles <laughs> <laughs> you've got those weird sausages just about look i'm holding them up now so anybody who is watching this and if you are listening to this this is a, this is a cue for you to maybe check out our youtube channel where you can watch us talk about these films. I thought you were going to say, maybe check out your own hands. <laughs> yeah, well, that too, you know. You know, check your own hand privilege and all that. But still, there's my hands. Look uh, at you yeah, how, how are you, my sweet prince? I'm, I'm, I'm very good, thank you, squire. <laughs> Howest thou? Why, why, what's this medieval? What is going on here? I don't know. Where we've descended into farce already. Lovely. We stuff. have. Uh, maybe we're trying to avoid because to, you know today's film is, is it takes you to some the dark recesses of the the mind, body, and soul, doesn't it? And maybe yeah. we're just trying to keep it light until we and, have to... and encourages you to laugh at it as well, which it is does. all the more dodgy. It's it's mm -hmm. a real trippy one, isn't it? It's a real oh, real trippy yeah. one. Um, oh yeah. Have you done anything exciting recently? How's your week been? Have I done anything so? Yeah, it's been it's been quite nice. You know, I've been enjoying the sunshine. You know, mate. Kind of went for a, a nice walk maker. on the weekend. Went into town. Me and Miss, like Charlotte, she's. You uh, had a date you know, night. Yeah, well, she's. You had she's, a date night. It's so nice. She's she's a, a, a designer. She has many different types of designs, but one of the sort of big things, a big big dream of hers was kind of visual merchandise. Um, you know, shop windows, the big shops uptown, Harrods, Selfridges, so so on and so forth and she's got a client that's given her a job for for the for paddington's anniversary this year i, think, I believe it's 65 wow. years she designed the uh the paddington display for hamley's toy window oh, and we mate, went up to huge. yeah it's unreal it's, it's amazing like yeah in her field you must be so proud yeah massively that is so awesome. so yeah we went uptown to have a, have a look at that and then oh congrats had a few drinky poo poos so that uh, is wicked mate yeah. that's so cool Yes, yeah, Hamleys awesome. is like I mean I'm sure everyone does know what Hamleys is, but just in case you don't, that is kind of like about as big as it comes in terms of it's Premier, it's Premier League, right? It's Champions it League. It is. It is Champions yeah. League. It is the it's the sort of creme de la creme of like toy stores, right? Mm. You could go and get lost in there. It's kind of if I could use a nineties kind of cinema reference, it would basically be where if you went into London and wanted to recreate the keyboard scene from big, yeah. that's where you'd do it. Yeah. I think they literally had that there, didn't they, in the 90s? At Hamleys, that big, yes, the keyboard they thing. Did. I think they, they did. did. Or maybe it was yeah. Harrods. I can't remember. Oh, mate, that's so wicked. That's yeah, so cool. cool. Yeah, oh, lovely stuff. stuff. How about yourself? Um, what did I do this weekend? So I've been doing a... I've been being a bit of a podcast hussy and, oh, like, yeah. all over the gaff. Dirty stop out with 
Jill Scott's Coffee Club, which is another pod that I do. And then I did, I was a bit of Spurs action. The less said about that, the better on, on mm. Saturday. Um, so I worked a lot of it, but I was very organised and I made sure that I planned my cinema trip in early doors. Smashed that it. in on Friday night. Yeah, got that what in. What did you say? Um, uh, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Oh, yeah. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I it's, it's loved awesome, it. It's awesome, isn't it, right? It was so brilliant. And I, I, I laughed so much, you know, and it was so yeah. accessible. I think this is the cool thing about this, right, is that half of that stuff... It, uh, half of those conversations that come up in the film, I try not to spoil it too much, but it's very much coming of age, young girl kind of going, sort of m moving towards adolescence and at the same time moving house and moving out of the city, moving away from her grandma, who she absolutely yeah. loves, and trying to kind of like reestablish a new life, but also at the same time trying to work out what her relationship with religion and what her relationship with God is. And there are some of the themes that as a as a bloke you can completely relate to. Like the the religion aspect I found really fascinating. Yeah. I thought that was beautiful. Um but I mean being a young girl, obviously you and I can't relate to that, but I thought the way that it was handled, it was so accessible for guys to be able to understand the kind of awkward anxiety inducing feelings that you have. And I don't know about you, mate, but did it did it did it make you remember? Because there's often, I think, nostalgia and kind of memory always rose tints a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it really reminded me of how frightening and scary and difficult being a sort yeah. of 13-year-old was. Some of those moments when she's just in this kind of... You can see it through through the adult's eyes. It's, it's fairly trivial stuff, but... To the kid at the time, you know, she's kind of like, everything is going wrong. Why is all this stuff happening to me? Because when you are that kind of bundle of hormones, you are just kind of like all over the shop. You genuinely yeah. are. And it's, it's such a good point that you make it. You do kind of rose tint a lot of the past in, in many ways. Oh, you know, remember long summer days when, you know, you'd play like football for four hours with your mates until it got dark and that kind of thing. And what you actually forget about is a lot of the times when it was actually really shit and horrible. Yeah. You didn't really have an idea of and you were who nervous. you were. Yeah, and just not sure of yourself. You didn't know what you wanted to be or what side of yourself you should show in public. You know, that 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 kind of stuff that, you know, I, I think you only really get a grip on until you start getting into your 30s, you know, really. Yeah, and how many times are you going to think back? Oh, remember that time where I sat amongst a group of people and I was nervous to talk, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's just not a memory that you kind of, that you have locked in your mind. But one of the things that I thought was really nice about the film is that it flick, flicked memories in your mind like dominoes, you know, one thing kind of leads to another in terms of the film. And then you start thinking about, Oh yeah, of course that it is a bit like that. And when you're at school, you do feel like that. And, and I mm. often think, I'll often have conversations with mates, you know, when you haven't seen a mate for a long time and you go to the pub and you're sort of like, oh, you remember when we did this and it was so much fun and blah, blah, blah. You, you sort of, you do just skate over so much of, you kind of think like, oh, I didn't have any worries back then. And all those worries that I had were, were nothing. 
but mm. actually at the time they are everything and you're just it's all as, relative isn't it yeah you're just as worried about if i've got a big project on at work and i'm stressed and like oh god i gotta get this done actually i feel exactly the same as how i felt when i had an exam the next day or yeah. when i was nervous about something at school you know i think the other thing it did really well and it did make me think in in that kind of sense of looking back of introspecting and everything it handled really well that idea that you know she's not a, a bad kid really and her friends aren't really terrible but they have that kind of gossipy thing about one of their classmates and it comes to a head towards the end of the film where the girl sort of says to her you know and it's, it's not really a spoiler but she kind of challenges her on a lot of these things that this idle gossip that's been spread and the impact it's actually having on her as a person that they don't care to think about and it does make you think about like, you know, when you're at school, you kind of, we probably all have been party to like spreading, did you hear about X doing yeah, Y or yeah, Z yeah. kind of thing. And it does make you think like now as an adult, you think, God, man, like kids are little shits. Like they, they're, they're they brutal, give, aren't they, they? They really don't give one another a good, like an easy time when they all really feel the same way. There's this real like dog eat dog thing that, it's just it's quite sad really isn't it you but know? why is that because the thing is right i don't think I, I i see young people with unbelievably good parents still mm. still kind of push the boundaries like that and kind of test where they're at i wonder I think ultimately they... people are their own people I, th I tend to believe you know i think obviously your, your upbringing is mm. a big thing i think your social circle is a big thing but i do also believe that we all have our own view on the world that, you know, we've, and who knows how that's shaped, you know, I'm not really debating here the existence of a soul or not. I'm just talking about maybe the lived experience of each individual person is so variable by so many different entry points, right? There's so many different kind of checks that we all pass at various different points of our lives that, you know, your parents can try and nurture and foster a kind of a safe environment or, whatever for you to live in but they can still be just you stay at a mate's house and the big brother when you're eight nine years old sticks a porno on or something and it <laughs> you know it messes with your head in a way that it wouldn't somebody else or you know there's all these different that's sort of my point you know there's there's so many different ways in which your view your worldview can be shaped that is, there is yeah sorry sorry go no ahead. it's just because outside the control of anybody but and and there is a great scene with with the the brother kind of there's a big brother in it who kind of interrupts the the four girls sort of almost doing an incantation to try and get their bust to grow yeah. and he kind of like launches into yeah. the room and and it just is such a perfect encapsulation mm. of how like when you're kids you just you your your brother and your your sisters or your siblings are not your best mates they're your arch nemesis oh yeah big time it, and it's so it, that it i it just encapsulates that, that so well which i loved i also thought the 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 kind of the elements around religion were really nice. I thought yeah. they were really, really nice in terms of exploring it, examining it, even, um, even the scene where she goes to the cinema, she goes, goes cinema, synagogue, cinema, lol. Um, uh, she goes, Close. uh, <laughs> not far off, yeah. but she goes with her grandma and her grandma's like showing her off. Um, mm. and, and it, we've all been that 
you know, we've all been in that yeah. position where our grandma sort of wheeled us around and kind of like introduced you to a bunch of people that you have no idea who they yeah. are, and you're just this tiny person kind of well, shaking hands. Doesn't he look like his granddad? Oh, he looks <laughs> just like him. You know, all that kind yeah. of thing. Who the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea who these people are. Um, Stop anyway, grabbing mate. my cheek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, you put me down. Yeah. Uh, what uh, uh, did you go to cinema this week? You know what, mate? It's a first. I didn't. Haven't been this week. Is that because you've just been so busy or is that because there wasn't much that you wanted to watch? A bit of both. Well, it's it's mostly sort of the sunny weather element. Yes. It being, I've just been, yes, I've had a busy week. Um, And also, yeah, I mean, I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm definitely not interested in Fast X in the slightest. I'm sorry. I wondered whether, I've been looking at the billboards this week and I thought, I wonder whether he will. Just nah. to just to just to kind of just, say that mate, just, I mean, it, it holds. I, I'm not a number one. I'm not a car person at all. I'm yeah, just me a, neither. Don't doesn't do it for me. We were having a conversation off air about Formula One already, and no, the whole petrol head thing not for me. Vin Diesel not for me. Um, I actually quite like Jason Momoa. I think he seems like a good guy. But do you know what? It's even. I'll tell you the exact moment. Have you seen in the trailer when he just goes? boom and it like <laughs> there's an explosion in the distance i'm just like this nope. is so lame like just nah not for me forgive me like, but i'm out yeah, <laughs> um, are you, yeah. does that mean you're you're waiting for bo is afraid then i am yeah he's got terrible write-ups but i'm you know no yeah big big fan oh, of ariaster though no. i'll tell you what man I'll, I'll give you a spoiler already because i reckon if we you know come halloween time if we do like a month of scary movies Yes. Hereditary is 100% on the list for me. Okay, I've like never seen Hereditary, one. so that'd, Ooh, be, that'd oh. be a goodie. Oh, you're, well, you're in for a treat, mate. You're in for a treat. But, oh, um, I love that. Can uh, I give you a little spoiler alert for later on in the uh, later on the show? <laughs> yeah, go on then. I still haven't decided what film I'm going to go for. I've got three <sighs> I love it. that I'm sitting on. Three? And I'm, I'm going to do it under pressure. Three dirty films. Three dirty Dirty films. What's that? That's the in betweeners, isn't it? <laughs> it is when they, when they when they what is it when they've like thrown him in the water? They've thrown it's Neo. three dirty men, isn't it? Three dirty men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Right, we should we should get stuck in to the yeah. film. Actually, no, we should do some comments. We had some great comments. Sorry, I, I I launched miles ahead. Do you want to go first, mate? Well, yeah, we've uh, so I mean, this was this was posted in response to a TikTok where I'll be honest, it was predominantly featuring me talking about <laughs> me not particularly liking Forrest Gump. So it's uh, Tarakal Deeb Five says, "No one told you to think of Forrest Gump as a totally uplifting. It's just a life story. This is just a guy with a podcast going something agreed upon to look cool." I mean, and how cool do we look? Well, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I would say, I, Tarek, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to look cool. All right, Are those, that's long gone for me. The, the years of trying to look cool. I just, you know, all right, fair enough. Nobody. I, I mean, I, I would look if we're really going to go into this, right, mate? If you're going to make one with me, right, I would say, <laughs> if you want people, some, I'll give it you. The, the people generally do try to make you think of it as a totally uplifting story, right? So maybe you need to give it a rewatch and just open your eyes a bit, all right? Because it's not yeah. uplifting and it's not just right. a life story because 
I'll tell you what, I haven't been to Vietnam and then I didn't open up a shrimp company and sell it to Apple, <laughs> did I? So it's not just a life story. Grow yeah, up. <laughs> have some of that. Yeah. Um, on, on Thanks for the, watching, though. But cheers, yeah. Like, comment, subscribe. Um, on the uh, <laughs> on the greatest running or training scene of all time, we put out a tweet this week just around Forrest Gump's running scenes, and we spoke a lot about that on the pod as well, and about the soundtrack. And we had a couple of very good suggestions for alternatives that are up there in, with the greatest of all time. So Catherine, which is that curly calf said. Oi, oi, um, hello, curly calf. Is that from um, what what pod does what pod does she do? Well, she's been on the Tottenham Way plenty of times. Um, I'm, I've heard her does, on yours. Yeah, yeah, she has been. She's been on the Amsterdam pod. Um, she, yeah, she's good good people. Good people is Kath. Love that. She said, um, Chariots of Fire title scene with the music from Vangelis, which is obviously oh, un- what, what a soundtrack. We, we talked about soundtracks the other week. Yeah, mate. yeah. The, uh, incredible. And I mean, he did, he obviously did Blade Runner as well. Sorry, mm. not obviously. He did Blade Runner, if in case you didn't know that. But he did um, the Blade Runner soundtrack. And I'll often listen to that, will be another one that I'll have on in the background mm. while I'm working. Um, because even the the intro from the Blade Runner soundtrack, you can kind of just have those sort of searing kind of, what even is that sound? Kind of synth kind of sound. Yeah, um, it's like a it, it's like an early type of synth that's got a very particular sound, isn't it? Yeah, quite eerie, but also quite mm. spacey as well. So that was one, the Chariots of Fire running scene. But then also, this was from Chris who picked out the 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 scene from Rocky Four. Where, um, where is it training in Russia? Yeah, Stallone yeah. is out chopping up wood and running through yeah. the snow, and then Ivan Drago's in like some high tech gin getting smashed up with anabolic steroids. So, um, yeah, that was a, that was a good one. Although I did put back to to him that I'm for me, if you're going to go for Rocky training scenes, I would go Rocky number two first, when Adrian sort of says win, win to him, and then he goes out and and starts training, then number four and then number three with eye of the tiger which is very very good it's still um, the first two for me though as like as, in terms uh, of the films you know. rocky one still the best film by far I think, well, rocky one is legitimately like it, I mean, it was quite a small production as well right a tiny yeah and he, he had to convince people to he basically said i won't give the script unless i'm in it which is amazing Imagine having that much conviction in you. <laughs> Grant me the confidence to Sylvester Stallone. It pretty much like defined that genre of films, which has followed, you know, the underdog thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mighty and Ducks I mean, there's been... and all that type of stuff that's come since. So, did you say Mighty Ducks? Yeah, remember the Mighty what Ducks? What an unbelievable series that was. Ducks Mate. fly together. But I haven't watched those since I was made. Well, it's it's. It's it's lucky we do a podcast where we revisit yeah, but, old films. Thank isn't God it? for that. What a luck out. Yeah. What a luck out. Okay, let's do one more comment. We've had okay, so this was on Cinema Snacks when we asked out, you know let, let, actually let me I'm gonna find the question that, that was actually asked so we can we can give ours as well again. I think it's important just to kind of double so. down on so. where we sit. Right, let's let me just bring this up. I know this makes for great Shall listening. I do some background music? so bring your own blockbuster podcast asked three crucial questions that have arisen from this week's pod number one have you ever ordered a medium-sized popcorn number two 
Is your choice of cinema ever decided by who has the best snacks and drinks? Number three. Is it acceptable to order a burger at an everyman to be chomped during the film? So okay. we, 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 had a, we had a reply from Wes Johnson, who says, Number one, I'm a hot dog and minstrels man, not popcorn. <laughs> that is controversial. And me, off the bat, Wes, off the bat, that is Meat controversial. Meat and chocolate. <laughs> I mean, it's a hybrid. You know, number two, I'm in Plymouth. We have two choices, Cineworld or View. View wins as it's not £300 to have food. It's about £275. <laughs> yeah, it is bloody know. expensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll give you an interesting little hit on that. I used to, so here you go. When I was 17, right? When I was 17, I had a part-time job after, you know, after college and weekends working in the local Odeon that opened in, in no Kingston way. upon Thames. I never yeah. knew this about you. That's so cool. Yeah, it, it opened it was the sort of brand new flagship Odeon that opened in Kingston upon Thames in their rotunda. And we actually in the first week of it opening, we had the world premiere. They didn't do it at Leicester Square, that we had the world premiere of twenty eight days later. And Oh wow I I it's one of the only things I've days actually later. Yeah. It's one of the only things I've ever won, mate. I actually was, I drew the straw. I got to work on that world premiere of 28 Days Later. And so I, I, I watched it way ahead of everyone else. And I was only 17. Oh. I slipped through the net. It was an 18. I slipped oh, through the mate, net. Oh, what a rush. Yeah, and were, it was. So were, all the, were they all there? Because it, yeah. it was Brendan Gleeson, wasn't it? Yeah, Boyle, a lot of them were oh, all there. Oh, wow. Um, and that was, yeah, that's... Killian Murphy before it's Killian, Killian Murphy. Murphy. Like he's that was know. probably his first. Was that kind of his yeah, first yeah. biggie? Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, that is so cool. And yeah, it was it was great, and I, I've loved that film ever since. Actually, so did honest. you get I, I free snacks? Uh, well, <laughs> not officially, but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the the point I was going to make is that really I, it may have changed now, but what we what we were kind of told there is we have we were had to sort of push the snacks and stuff a lot when we worked there because really cinemas for the most part and th this is going back a while this you know this is going back 20 years now when i was working there but still at that time they only really they they rent the reels from film companies um oh, wow. which costs them a lot of money so the actual money they make off of tickets is marginal they don't really make much it's in the right. it's in the food and drinks and stuff where cinemas really make most of their money so yeah and I mean, hence why it's so unbelievably expensive. And the advertising as well. That's sort of a big part of it too. But I, I had something very interesting and engaging to give you there that I've just completely forgotten and hopefully no. it will come back to me. 28 that days is... later, food and drink, popcorns, working at the Odeon, Kingston-upon-Thames. Oh, oh, this is brutal. Oh, gosh, that I can't believe I've... I it's can't like a believe... sneeze going away, isn't it? Um, I, I am... I'm so upset about that. I genuinely had something of interest to give you, but that's so so annoying. Um, stop the pod. Just yeah, bin it stop off. stop it and call it off. And it would take me about no. two hours. Yeah. I'm getting so bad with this as well. Doing it more and more and more. Um, you, you know what's happening though? Like as soon as we finish recording this, I'm gonna get a WhatsApp from you. This is what I was gonna ask you. Yeah, it's, man. It's, it's how oh, it works. That's what happens. God, this is killer. Go on, you read the rest of the 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 rest of the comment. I'll try and remember what it was. And so, Wes's last point was. I've normally done the hot dog before the trailers, so I'm not eating it during the film. Fair enough. Um, my my responses to that were, I only, so usually with popcorn, 
I'll have a small or a large. I don't like to sit on the fence with popcorn. But the thing is, I know that sometimes, you know sometimes when you're like, when, say if you're going in a week weekday, right? You've had dinner and then you go out to catch a, say, 8.30, 9 o'clock showing of something. And you're kind of like, oh, I've had my dinner, but I've got that little snack space. I'm quite hungry. And that smell of the popcorn has hit me as I've entered the foyer. But I just can't justify a massive popcorn. So I will get I will get a small one in that instance. When it's like what I would probably call pig popcorn. When it's like I don't need this. This is completely eating for taste. But I'm gonna have the, I'm gonna have a small popcorn. Otherwise, yeah, I'll just get a large popcorn because uh, I think as we've measured as, as we've spoken about on here before, a lo- a medium will be like four pounds ten, whereas like a large will be four pounds fifty. Yeah. So I'm like just, no messing around. Nah, what's the point? Um, Straight in. The choice of cinema, no, my choice of cinema is not uh, decided by what I can eat or drink there. Um, so, yeah. Um, and number three, would I eat a burger at Everman? No, I wouldn't, but that that's partly because... I don't really judge anyone that does, because if you go into an Everyman, you know that's part of the experience. I don't like... I, I don't know if I'm alone in this. I don't know if this is a weird thing I have. I don't like eating in the dark, like proper food. Oh, like that's... Food, food. Me too. Really, yeah, I don't yeah, like it. It makes me uncomfortable. It. You know, Can I, and just on that, I also like don't. I don't like drinking drinks whilst I'm moving. Yeah. If I'm walking along trying to drink a coffee, it drives me mad. You know, because yeah, I want to actually yeah, drink horrible. a coffee. If I'm sitting in the dark trying to eat, particularly something like a burger, because you want to get enjoyment from it. You know, that's why popcorn is the perfect snack. I have been doing. I have been doing pick and mix, um, but I, I, again this week. Didn't send the pick over, but did get the liter of Fanta. So, just but, but in about a, a month's liter. time, they're just gonna. It's just I'm so gonna, extra. You know? It's just like, so yeah. unnecessary, isn't it? In, in about a month's time, they're just gonna give me a drip, so I can just take it intravenously. <laughs> this horrible like orange liquid. Barney and, and that, the Simpsons with his duff, with his duff drip. <laughs> Yeah. on that I've just remembered what it is I was going to say you, you know you're it. talking I, I'm so happy and I've just realised why I remembered what it was going to be because I was talking about Orange and I was talking about Fanta and you reminded me of going to films in in the kind of like the noughties or whatever and it, and it, the film company's not making any money do you remember Orange Wednesdays? oh yes unreal but that's Meerkat Mondays is it a thing? Because I, I knew that they kind of did it and I've sort of not really... Monday night's not really a cinema night for me. You no. know, it's, it's well, BYOB, it's a BYOB night BYOB night, yeah. Yeah. So, like, Wednesday was always kind of like... It, it was the perfect yeah. hump day thing, wasn't it? Two for Wednesday one. Wednesday is cinema night, generally. Yeah, if you didn't... Or Friday. Yeah, Friday night for me. And if you didn't get... If you didn't sort of have this, if you're not in the UK, basically we used to have a deal in the UK that if you were with a certain cell phone company or, or mobile phone company, you got two-for-one cinema tickets on Wednesday nights. And then they buddied up with a, a restaurant chain called Pizza Express and said you can do two-for-one on pizzas and then two-for-one on cinema tickets. And it was genius. It was because unreal. People just people used to just go en masse to the cinema on Wednesday nights. It was insane. We well, go for dinner beforehand, right? Go to Pizza Express, have a have a Bosco salad and a pizza, half and half there oh, with the missus, and then onto the cinema. You know. Oh, done. mate. And do, do you know what the other thing that I've started to do? Because you know, you you sort of mentioned about doing the kind of Odeon membership thing. I haven't got that far yet, but I've started pre-ordering my food. Oh, 
um, which on a Friday night, when the queue is enormous, you do feel like a bit of a twat, but so, it's great <laughs> to just skip the queue. Because <laughs> I've seen, because Odin are really pushing at the moment. How does it, because I've always been like, well, but what if I show up a bit late? What, what if it's ready and it's sitting no, there you, and it's congealing? Or... You click the button to say, I'm about to arrive, and then they make uh... it. Or so that's it's all through like, the app, right? Yeah, or if you're just getting something. So it is decent. I mean, they're not paying us for this, so we should I probably know, move on. This does sound like one of those like, reads, doesn't it? It sounds like an yeah, ad so read. a great podcast read, doesn't Did it? Did you book that through the Odeon app? <laughs> no, I didn't. I did it online at www.odeon.co.uk. Right, the Odeon yeah. app, five stars. Um, right, well, let's talk about one the, the, the film day. for this week. What was it? The film for this week was... The year 2000s or 2001, shit. American Psycho. That's that's the film. I think it's 2001. What a selection. I mean, there are so many reasons why you would have gone for this, but what sort of stood out for you? Uh, American Psycho, because I thought, well, number one, I thought it was something we could have a ruddy good chat about. But it's also, uh, I think it was a real, um, a real landmark film stroke book that a you know a a 23 24 year old version of me that was a bit angry at the world i mean i'm still quite angry at the world but in a different way (laughs) but a bit angry at the world a bit unsure of his place in the world so on and so forth really just connected with and was like yeah i get this i get what this is saying i love that feeling this isn't just about murder and killing god yeah how base how base (laughs) that you could interpret this in that way you moron you know thinking i knew everything i still do (laughs) you know nothing strange there but uh yeah and i haven't seen it for a few years so i thought why not let's go do you know do you know what the film that did that for me was it was v for vendetta Oh, what a uh, film. It's a great film, but yeah, I remember watching it being like, I really get this and this is so deep. <laughs> you it, know? Interesting though, but interesting. Because given that you're no, you're not the biggest fan of the graphic novel comic book things. No, I know. I know. But it, it feels quite removed from comic book stuff, doesn't it? It does, but it's still got that kind of... Yeah. That The, the fight scenes are very kind of... Uh, very similar, aren't they? Is that Wachowski's? Yep, yep, it was it was Wachowski's and Hugo Weaving, wasn't it? I mean, as V. Uh, what an incredible man! I'm so yeah. uh, him as Lord Elrond in the Lord of the Rings trilogy as well, just amazing. <laughs> anyway, do, do you know one of my favourite? Mo- I've just got to say this moment while we're on uh, on V for Vendetta. What was the name of the horrible hunchman? Like the, you know, he was like the enforcer, the kind of. Hello, him, that horrible geezer. Oh, God, let me t- I've got it up. I've but got it up. It, it, the, the bit when he captures Stephen Fry's character and just goes, not so funny now, are we? <laughs> funny man. <laughs> he, was, it, it, he's, he has a really iconic line at the end, doesn't he, as well? You say, yeah, you and Uzabi or something crap like that yeah. before V then goes and just destroys everyone. God, who? What was his name? What was the name of the actor? God, this is going to absolutely—is he Peter Creedy, Tim Piggott Smith? Is that it? Maybe. Tell us in the comments. I'm sure we'll get around to be for Vendetta at some the, point. The 1812 Overture as well. It's got to be the yeah. finest use of it in anything, yeah, it, right? Really good. And there's also a. This is another cool thing. 
God, it was like we're doing V for Vendetta this week. But there's a, there's a song called EV Reborn, which is when she goes out into the rain. Oh. And and it kind of all the rain comes down, no, which is just amazing. But I think they use that in Interstellar. Did I? Yeah, and I I was I thought Interstellar was completely its own score, but maybe they just rubbed that one. Um, right, let me let me try and spoil this film for people who haven't seen American Psycho. Um, if you haven't, I'm sure lots of people lots of people have, and we would have given you plenty of fair warning. But I forgot to do it for Thelma and Louise, and I feel like a perfect ass for not doing that. But if you haven't seen the film, stop now, go and watch the film, and then come back to the pod. Right, I'm setting up the stopwatch now, mate. So, have you, are you limbered up? You're nice and um, let you me know, just, stretched. Let me just grease the wheels. Um, okay. Right. Okay, let's do this. And a five, and a four, and a three, and a two, and a one. Okay, so Christian Bale plays Patrick Bateman, who is a kind of yuppie Wall Street vice president. We don't actually see him ever doing any work, but the insinuation is that he is this very successful, kind of high-achieving, really impressive guy. But as the film progresses, you basically get the impression that he hates everything about his life and he hates everyone around him. And he's verging on the brink of insanity. In fact, you kind of think that this guy is essentially a psychopath. He doesn't seem to have any emotion. He doesn't seem to have any feeling. And the film plays out over the course of kind of a couple of hours of him basically losing touch with reality and going on a killing spree where he kills women, he kills homeless people, he kills, he tries to kill a cat, he tries to feed a cat to a, a cash machine and essentially we get to the end of the film and he's lost touch with reality so much that we can't actually work out whether he's committed all the atrocities oh, that we've seen over the course of the film. Shit, I got but close. That was, that was not bad. That was very good. That was very, now, very good. But do you know what's really interesting? As I was uh, as I was saying that, I was like, actually, not a huge amount happens in the film. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not yeah. there's loads of stuff that happens, but in terms of the arc, we're introduced to to Patrick Bateman like early on as a guy that is just completely out of touch. I mean, you definitely say it's more of a character-driven thing than a than a narrative yeah. piece, right? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And what I what what I really loved about this is, as I was watching it, watching it back now, the, the first time I watched it, I was probably kind of I don't know, maybe like fourteen or something. But watching it back now, it's amazing how viscerally and how sort of intimately you absolutely hate those wall street people now yeah. that you now that you sort of have grown up and live in a capitalist world where you've got to be a part of the hustle seeing those characters just it drives you mad doesn't it what what particularly got you the the way in which they kind of sit there noshing each other off and and saying about how fantastic they all are and oh did you get reservations here did you get reservations here and like none of it means anything you know, nothing they talk about means anything, but you're totally aware that to them they need that shit. And and we've, I mean, we all know people like that, and they are the people that drive me to like anger, such yeah. anger. The, these pretenders, these charlatans that are taking huge amounts of money for doing bugger all work and and dining out. While the rest of they are the people that oh god I'm really getting on the soapbox here they're the people that genuinely believe do you know what 
your money would be better off in my pocket because I'll spend it better than you. You yeah. know, I hate it. I hate it. Like there's no sense of doing anything good for the world. It's all about them themselves, their own excess, right? Yeah, and the, the, the there's so lots that we can lots that we can get onto. But I thought that was. That was fascinating. I, I mean, slight disclaimer. I have to. I, I really wanted to try and read the book this week, um, but I haven't got around to it. But it 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 sounds as as though from everything that I've heard, and I mean from what you said last week, that it sounds as though the book was really sort of hammering that point home, very kind of graphically. Yeah, I mean, so when you, it's been a long time since I've read the book. Um, I did watch the I I watched the film first. Um, Oh, and then okay. I, 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 yeah, I read the book afterwards. Uh, so I probably saw the film not too long after it, it got released. Definitely didn't see it in the cinema. Um, but it was kind of a, you know, it was just like a, a bit of a rites of passage. Yeah, it was like a film that a lot of people were talking about. So everybody yeah. wanted to see yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, I watched it when I was younger. And then I, I read the book probably a, a few years later, probably in my mid-20s, I think I read the book. Um and obviously, I mean, like one of one of the main things that will stand out about the book is that the, I mean, I was going to say to you, it's probably best you didn't read it this week, mate, because it's not really one to breeze through. Um, it's the type of book right, that okay. you will get through some chapters and just be like, I need to put that down for a bit and kind of not think about that for a while. Decompress a bit. Yeah, the, it's very, I mean, the, the you know, the, the Brett Easton Ellis came under a lot of criticism at the time. Um, I mean, we can talk about a lot of this stuff later on, but, you know, for the book's kind of very, very vivid depictions of brutal murders of women, um, often with a you know, overbearing kind of sexual tone to it. It's, you know, it's, it's the, the book is heavy. Like it's very, very heavy. But the, the, the funny thing is that like with the film, one of the similarities that the book has is that uh, like you say it's largely a satire it's a satire of a type of person of a creed of that the new yuppie that was breaking through the the, the traditional old american male was crumbling he was being replaced by this kind of there was a panic about american masculinity at the time um and I, you know this is what i've read in the in the research leading up to this there was a real panic about american masculinity um the whole kind of birth of the metrosexual straight yeah. men borrowing from gay culture grooming self-care you know things that it seems it seems wild to say god you know it, it, it was at the time it was seen as gay you know to like look after yourself and everything like that yeah you're um, gay for caring like things like that being the the turn of phrase, you're and, and you're, just, you're gay for wanting to look yeah. good, and, and just how like pejoratively that stuff was so flippantly used back then. Yeah, we, yeah, we, you know, I remember it well growing up in that time. I was probably the same. I was probably that little dickhead as well that would call things gay at the time. You know, because it's just what people said, and it's how stupid you know the culture was with regard to that type of thing. Um, so it it it, it seems though that this. It is this just bleaching satire of of the the American middle class, the aspirational upper class, this relentless capitalist pursuit for money, for betterment, for 
looking for for, for competition with those around us um, and all the while failing to take any value or look for anything from a life that couldn't just be quantified with a dollar attachment dollar sign attachment to it or a, a means of being able to brag or get one over those around you you know um and i think and ultimately how that that pursuit leads one to feeling completely listless and empty and unfulfilled that there's no there's there's nowhere left to turn because nobody really knows what they want all they know is that they want the thing that the other person has yeah. but why does the other person have that because they've got it because the other person has it it's it's this big horrible circle jerk you know to, to, to put it in a in a certain way and and they're all as bad as each other aren't they they're all exactly the same they're all sort of horribly insecure and he, like you said he's just totally dislocated from anything meaningful there's not a he does this speech doesn't he he's like and we need to worry about the the, the rights of women and we need to stop third world debt and hunger and we need to take care of the homeless and you're like you've just said all of the things he lists off about 10 things you're like these are real genuine problems and he doesn't deviate once in his intonation and it's such a wonderful portrayal of how people at the probably towards he would be i guess he would be in the one percent right he's a vice president of a huge mm. wall street company He's probably earning obscene money. Just this sort of corporate social responsibility thing is a is a sentence in a speech as opposed to anything meaningful. You you feel like though it's it, that to me feels like it's because because all it is is it, it's something that he's rehearsed. He's read it in Time magazine. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And he's he's instead of thinking, <clears throat> oh, this is something that's actually touched me. It's this will be an interesting dinner party anecdote. So I'll yeah. just regale it in the sense that he does. I, do you know what? I did love that uh, at so many points I laughed during it and then yeah. felt weird for laughing, you know? I thought that was quite quite an interesting thing. I haven't had that too many times so far since you've been doing the films. I think it's the first time I've had it where it's like sort of squirmy laughter. But there is, there is this real... Um, there is a real fascinating bit at the beginning where he's going through his his um what would you call it his like grooming routine yeah and he sort of talks through the in case my eyes are a bit puffy and i i can do nearly a thousand crunches and he sort of peels off his face mask and stuff and you're um i i remember the cover of the film looks like he's wearing a it looks like he's wearing the sort of the cover of the DVD or whatever. It looks like he's wearing almost like a hero mask. Yeah, you know? yeah. And you're sort of thinking, oh, okay, what's this about? And actually the mask is like an ice pack to stop his yeah. eyes getting puffy. It's really quite, it's sort of like, it's quite jarring. And it is, that, it, sorry, go on, mate. I was just going to say that, that, that speech though, when he is, yeah, he goes through the routine. And then when he's, 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 he's talking about, you know, there is an idea of a Patrick Bateman. There's an yeah. abstract you know, but and then I'll, I'll read this out. This is verbatim. He's saying, but there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory. And though I can hide my cold gaze and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours. And maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable. I simply am not there. 
And as he's doing that, he's it may be a little on the nose, but it does send a shiver down the spine when he's just peeling. He's literally peeling the mask off his face as he's saying that. You know, and you're like, whoa, this I'm I'm in. You know, they must have had to do that so many times as well because it's perfection, isn't it? The way he peels it off. He peels the entirety of his face off. Precisely, but, like, but like you say, that is that's so on it though, because everything about that routine is put, the way everything is placed in his cupboards, the way he takes it all out methodically, the way. But, but even even to go to this level, his body. Look look at the nick Christian Bale is in for that film. Unbelievable, like, like insane, right? Um, I found myself thinking about just the the physical transformations that he's done as well. He is. I can't think of many other people that have managed to do what he's done. No. Because he's done... He did The Machinist, didn't he, where he was... Looked like he was on the verge of dying. He did... Was it Vice? Where he was... Dick Cheney, yeah. Enormous. Then he also did American Hustle. And he did The Fighter as well, was it? The Fighter, yeah. So he's really skinny when he's kind of... uh, like addicted to crack but then i believe it toward the end he gets really fat as well so he, he and he did all that for both of them well and he looked incredible for the for the dark knight trilogy didn't he yeah. looked yeah. absolutely amazing well, you, you know so M- mary harron the the director she said of him there's i'm sure we can get onto this but the, there was a you know it was a very very protracted um hiring of christian bale there was mm. there was a lot mm. going on behind us leonardo dicaprio was odds on it was the studio's favorite he wanted the movie um then he basically he wanted to then biff off mary harron he said no it has to be scorsese that does this movie scorsese didn't wow. want to do it they then brought in oliver stone to do it oliver stone fell through he didn't want to do it so the studio went back to mary harron then leonardo dicaprio dropped out then they wanted to have Edward Norton or Ben Affleck to maybe play him. And she was saying of like, of, of I think Affleck wasn't interested in it or Matt Damon, one of the two, or maybe wow. both of them didn't want to do it because they thought it was a bit dark. They, the book had caused a lot of controversy. Um, and then Edward Norton was pretty much on the verge of getting it, but she was fighting against it being like, you know, Edward Norton just is not, he's not beautiful he's not beautiful in the way that patrick bateman needs to be like edward norton's a handsome enough man in the sort of rugged sense but patrick bateman has a very particular look and i think this young actor christian bale he really has you know what i need for this but all along in the background she said that christian bale was like you know he he not really he was like desperate to like break into hollywood and all this type of thing and he was getting more and more upset. He was just like, you know, I feel like the kind of, you know, the person where, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing her date everyone else before they get to me, you know, yeah. kind of thing. It's, it's, I'm just sat here kind of, and she's like, honestly, we just got to play the long game. Just wait, just wait. And she was like, I'll tell you what you can do. Cause she was like, at this time, he was just kind of this skinny kid. And she was just like, what, what I'll tell you what you can do actually, which will be really helpful. This movie, the guy I want you to play, he's like, a gym addict he's like going to be buff he's going to be ripped so if you can just do you use the gym at all and christian bell was like no not really but you know i can give it a go she's like yeah if you can like just you know maybe put on a bit <laughs> pack on a bit of muscle and stuff and you know whatever and she was like little did i know what christian's pro you know christian's well documented process is like now 
because come the time when eventually the studio caved in or like whatever have you guy fine <laughs> he shows up and she's like what the fuck <laughs> you know and he, he literally he's like, does like Adonis, wham you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah and he's he, but again he, he is i found myself thinking about this when, when i was going through the kind of films where he's done physical transformations i, I know he's obsessive there are very few people that could reach that body type, even with obsession. It's genetics, he, right? It's genetically wonderful as well for this kind yeah. of role. And he even has the thing where he's sort of talking about this sort of like, yeah, but I've, I've got slightly better barbers than, than the other guy, you know? And he sort of, he looks perfectly weird, if yeah. that makes sense. Like he looks, he's just a, is the perfect fit for this role because he looks he has this amazing ability to flip between doing this fake corny very forced human interaction and then his eyes will just drop and he just looks sinister and horrible like he, he, so many scenes of that where where he's at the laundromat or where he's speaking to the homeless person and suddenly he'll go from doing this human beings for dummies style dialogue to then just lashing out it's just amazing isn't it he, d- one of he the, does the anger really well as well one of the creepiest scenes i think in it that it's before anything's even happened as well you know the movie's called american psycho and if you've seen any of the trailers or whatever you'll know that something bad's gonna happen in there but this is before you see any of that side of him you know when he's just out walking on the street and he gets to the cross the crosswalk and there's just that woman standing there and he just says hi to her and she kind oh. of looks at him and says hi. Like Charlotte made the point; it's so true. She's like, he's like a vampire, you know. It's yeah. just that aura Chilling. around him where you can tell the woman's somewhat uncomfortable, but she's kind of drawn to him at the same time. Yeah. And you, as the viewer, you're just like, oh, what's he going to do? This is horrible. And you've got that slow kind of choral music in the background as well that just adds to the tension. And and do you know the other sort of scene that did that for me? You know where he's speaking to the prostitute and he's trying to get her to get into the car? Yeah. And you're like, don't get in the car. Don't get in the car. And then yeah. he sort of just gets the money out of his pocket. And you're like, no, she's going to get in. And it, it, he is just so scary and so frightening in terms of the way that he has this very kind of like, I walk among you, but I'm not one of you sort of aura about him like he's he's too normal you know everything is too particular it's too kind of even the scenes like that i mean do you know i might as well get onto it now but when he's doing the the scenes talking about the the music like they are hilarious but they're also deeply uncomfortable at the same time yeah because he's sort of go, go on go on no, 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 carry on, mate. Well, like, just mm. I, I when I first watched it, I didn't really know those. I didn't hadn't listened to much music of the of the time, you know. So yeah. now, it, the idea of him talking about Phil Collins in that way is actually quite okay. funny to me. <laughs> yeah, right. But you see that, don't you? That later on, like his colleague that he brings back to the apartment, I forget her name, but when he's sort of delivering his monologue about Whitney Houston, and she's like. <laughs> You own a Whitney Houston CD. You own more than one Whitney Houston CD. You know, she's like absolutely creasing because it it, it almost, it, it does show you this farcical 
way in which he's not only looking for this kind of he's looking for this like social capital of seeming learned or seeming kind of an intellectual but i think it's more than just that i think it's it's from what we know about the character of bateman it it's somebody who is looking for meaning in anything right he's yeah. so like he says you know i simply am not there and we we see that all throughout the film that he's so dissatisfied with his existence he should be he should be top of the world you know like you say he's part of the one percent he's a ceo of a fortune 500 company or whatever it is he does no work at all but there's just nothing in his life that brings him joy at all other than mutilating people and <laughs> and destroying them and what i did want to ask you mate on on all of this because it feels relevant to ask you at this point when i plucked the film out on this instance um i rented it from google again i thought it was still on netflix but it's not i rented it from google it was categorized as horror mm. and that just didn't that didn't sit with me did it not no see i did i don't think it is out and out horror but i found parts of it scary yeah the bit with him running with the chainsaw. Oh, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? it, it like, and and when when he's kind of like, ah! after he drops the chainsaw on her, and yeah. I saw an amazing, I saw an amazing interview with the director where she she said she gets asked all the time if something was cut out of that scene, like if there was a, a cut. And I watched it. Here's a little tidbit for you. I searched around where to find it, and it's currently on 4OD. Oh, really? So, Interesting. So I watched it on 4OD, and I, I just assumed that Channel 4 had made an executive decision that they were going to cut out some of the gore and some of the violence. So, so then I was like, right, I need to go and watch a stream of this to sort of see what I've missed. So I obviously had exactly the same reaction that some of the gore had must have been cut out but actually there are times where you're just meant to be left in in kind of suspense as to whether whatever happened has happened and we can get on to talk about the ending in in a bit but i found some of those violence scenes really quite scary and i think one of the other things that i found really scary was because he's not present because he is so sinister and he's a psychopath so He's not feeling any of these things that he's doing. He does, he's not feeling any remorse. He doesn't feel... The only real time that you get a hint of him acknowledging what he's done is when he kind of has a breakdown in his office and there's the helicopter, police helicopter, like, shining through. Yeah. Um, and you, you're sort of sitting there and, and finally seeing him break down. But the flip of that, and I'd imagine the, the, the kind of maybe where you sit slightly more on the, this is that it feels to me like the vast vast majority of the film if you t put to one side the kind of the the kind of the gore of it the vast majority of the film is very satirical yeah and and a lot of it feels like it's quite tongue-in-cheek as well i mean the, the the funny thing is like you know it it seems to be that it's showing you that these people are so disconnected from reality. All of them. All of them. Not just Patrick Bateman, who is the very, you know, <laughs> the very sharp end of the scale, who's cutting people up and chopping them to pieces. But these people, 
inhabit this this world this plane of existence that feels just completely so it's ironic really given it's so materialistic but so immaterial like they don't even realize or really even care what's going on around them and i think that's one of the big questions the film poses obviously the big question the film poses is is patrick bateman actually killing people or not but i for me what it also poses is you know his his best mate played by justin Theroux, is having an affair with evelyn they're like that you know, was weird right yeah they're practically making out of each other at the table he's sort of saying they think i don't know but do they because they're not really hiding it is it just simply that people don't care he sat there drawing a woman getting cut in half by a chainsaw on a <laughs> table mat nobody cares he's taking bloody sheets to a to a laundry nobody cares is it just this comment on this culture that is so unfeeling and so unthinking past their own bubble their own wants their own needs that anything outside of that is just immaterial to them that like like we say that the 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 suffering of other human beings is reduced to a soundbite for a dinner party that nobody's listening to anyway they're all just like shut up patrick you know nobody cares about it nobody cares about anything other than what other people maybe have that they desire or they cover at least yeah and 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 the things that really matter to him are that he can't get a reservation at dorsia that's the thing that actually try getting a reservation at dorsia (laughs) now you fucking (laughs) stupid bastard mate mate, the 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 scene i've got another little sort of thing that is a bit of a throwback so when i was doing the research for this someone has uploaded the entire dvd commentary with the director to youtube amazing which is amazing um and it's so cool because you can listen to it like a podcast as well if you know the film because i've seen the film quite a few times and obviously watched it quite recently but it's got a slight undercurrent of the what's going on. You can just about hear the background noise of what's going on in the film, and she's sort of talking quite purposefully and quietly over the top of it. So it's a lovely listen. Um, and she says that that scene where um, where he kills um, Jared Leto's character, Paul Allen, is it? Yeah. Is that, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, so where he kills him, she's like, that's about as happy as you see him in the film. He's... He's gorging. He's like a pig in shit. He's like <laughs> fox in a chicken coop. He's completely, he is overjoyed with satisfaction at that point. But you don't see him satisfied at any other f- point in the film, really. Like at so many other points in the film, things kind of go, things kind of go wrong because it's not quite how he wants it to be. But that has played out exactly as he wants it. And even though he is going to have this massive come down, he's just totally satisfied in that moment and that his performance in that just even when he's kind of like he's almost like moonwalking along yeah isn't he and that is that's that's hip to be square that one right that that scene yeah that... the dance that's become like a meme now as well hasn't it yeah when he points at the thing and does the little the little jig in the sort rain of like, yeah exactly i've just sort of wobbled on my seat there and done a horrible job but it is it's such a, a fascinating scene and the way that he commits to it and just sort of just pure because he's he's been saying hasn't he like oh my veil is gonna slip 
yeah. at some point my veil's going to slip. And just seeing it come down in that way, it, it's such commitment. It's it's amazing. It kind of, it, it, that's what, I guess that's part of the reason why I think it flirts with this line between horror and satire. Because it's certainly scary, but it's certainly very entertaining as well. What what I find quite interesting, actually, in terms of the differences between the the book and the film, because I I, I do still I, I still maintain that it, from what I remember it it is a pretty faithful adaptation, but obviously like the book is completely Patrick Bateman's stream of consciousness. Um, well, Christian Bell the... read it every day on set. Did he? <laughs> yeah, every day. And and the the film, although you do have those those monologued moments every now and again, it is used sparingly. Most of mm. the action just takes place on screen in front of us, right? So you, you don't really know what Patrick Bateman is thinking or feeling other than what we see play out on screen, which I think for a movie makes for better watching, right? Because it, it, it makes him, like you were saying, more sinister. Um, and you, you, you're more invested in what he's going to do next, you know? Yeah, and it, it, I I guess the fact that he kind of the fact that he gives you these little kind of insights into his psyche, and that you get those little monologues. I actually found that I, I I'd kind of I'd kind of forgotten how much it it it's juxtaposed as well. You go from these scenes of like ultra violence to like relative calm and tranquility. Yeah. So some of his, it's it's another thing that that the director said. She said that, um, that it, she needed the space and the sort of silence in order for him to give the monologues. So she had to find ways in which to do it. So she she got him being like groomed, having like a manicure while he's doing one of the voiceovers, which is really cool. And it usually comes off the back of him having murdered someone, which is like, it's just such a clever device. Like, it's so smart, isn't it? To to kind of have that that idea that you're going to go, right, he's going to literally lop someone's head off and pop it in a fridge. And then the next scene, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to see him kind of like getting his nails done. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's absolute genius. It's so, so cool. But is I that, is that similar to the book? Uh, I, I, to be honest, mate, I can't remember it well enough right. to, to 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 know that too much. But they, I, I think what 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 I really thought when I watched it this time, to your point, like that kind of like that, like I've said before on here, that kind of Brechtian effect of showing something like awful alongside something quite funny, is that I really felt that it reminded me a lot of like The Sopranos in many ways, and I guess there must have been more of an appetite at the time because you know this is kind of like the very start of the sopranos like so like series one when american psycho came out and i think there's a lot of like thematic and i guess just narrative similarities between the two of them um in so much as you're showing you you're i, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that patrick bateman is humanized in the way that tony soprano is tony soprano is showing the kind of you know they're showing him as a dad as a husband as a suburban dad who then is also a cold-blooded killer who is a murderer yeah. and the scenes when you actually see murders take place in the sopranos or you see tony in particular kill people 
it's almost so much more shocking. It's so much more brutal um, because you are used to him having these kind of squabbles in the family. You see some yeah. things. My dad used to be a bit like that or that's a bit like, do you know what I mean? You yeah. remember the family trip to here and there and then suddenly, bam, Tony's like killing somebody, shooting them in the head or something like that. And you're yeah. like, whoa, fuck. And it really pulls you out of it. And I don't think that, in fact, I know that the the director, she went to great lengths to fight the studio in wanting to say what we need to have here. We need to understand more about Bateman's psychosis. We need to understand why he's doing this. Was his mother horrible? Was his father abusive or an alcoholic? Yes. So on yeah, and so yeah. forth. And she said, no, I'm not showing you this because we cannot have an air of sympathy for this monster. Mm. He is a monster. The reason why he kills people is because he's a monster, not because of something that's happened to him. And I think that's that's probably quite a controversial school of thought in many ways. Um, and I think she did get a bit of criticism for some of the, the things that are showcased in American Psycho. But I've got to say, I do kind of rate that and I do quite like that. Like you were saying, the 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 narrative itself isn't too complex really it's a it's almost like a petri dish of characters and this one particular scenario of you know rich yuppies in 1980s coke addled new york city all working on wall street and one of them is a serial killer they're all killing people through their actions really yeah. but he's the one that's highlighted because he does it in such a visceral way um and I think that to the to the point on the Sopranos, I think comedy really is used maybe as the mechanism in this film to really make those murders more hard hitting, to make the 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 brutal visceral stuff more impactful, because you're going yeah. from this amusing, funny man doing a dance and Paul Allen, Jared Leto talking about if you've got a Chow, you know the way he yeah, says the way that about the little dog. <laughs> what know? is a little chow? Oh, yeah, <laughs> so annoying. and you're just like, yeah, I want so him to annoying. chop his head off now. You know, yeah. Like, it's, uh, and the, this is the thing, mate. I, I, it only kind of struck me this time around. Is like these guys are such losers. Yeah, like they're such losers, they and they're, they're sitting there, kind of circle jerking around the, the idea of getting a, a reservation, and they would be seen as the kind of I don't know the the kind of the elite or the social elite or whatever because they're dining at all these places. And it's like there's one bit where where Jared Leto's character is like the only reason I came here is for this thing on the menu, which is the only thing that makes this whole thing bearable. <laughs> You're like, mate, I'll go to Nando's and be overjoyed. <laughs> you right. know what I mean, I was getting two for one at Pizza Express and living like yeah. a king, like that, and and that. It was only this time around that I kind of really, really picked up on that you're that it's not just a satire, but you're almost meant to look at them as in like, God, you're tragic. You people yeah. are tragic. Like there's a there's such a nothingness, and they hate each other. All of them hate each other. None of them can 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 stand each other either, which is it makes the whole thing even more. He, there's one scene where he's in the car and he's got his headphones on while his fiance is talking to him. He's literally disconnected from everything. And I think that was, to, to your, your point just now, I think that's kind of one of the beauties of it is that you, even though not a huge amount happens in terms of the story arc, you are you never know where you are. 
like there is a, there's something that I, I think it'd be wicked to comment with Willem Dafoe later on for the MVP chat, but it's the film deliberately makes sure that you never know where you are at any point. You're kind of you think you know what's going on, and then suddenly you're like, oh, maybe I maybe I don't, or maybe that yeah. did happen, or or maybe it didn't, which is which is magnificent. I I love that about the film. Um, mate, I want to come on to a a, a point a kind of similar to the book that you were you wanted to raise which was around the idea of how it was perceived mm. because i didn't know this about the film obviously i just kind of had missed it i was what 11 when this came out so i'd kind of missed the dialogue but was there a particular school of thought about what the film was saying about women or what well, the film it- was saying about men at the time yeah because i mean that so brady sonnellis came in under a lot of stick because you know the the book was seen as misogyny it was seen as woman hating misogyny um i think there was like a campaign to borders the bookstore at the time i don't even know if borders still exist but borders a bookstore to not stock it um there was one of those real kind of yeah like uh a, a, a big backlash against it um and equally like the film came under a bit of fire but most from the other side in terms that I guess this is probably partly because it was a you know it was a female writer director um but it was seen as like oh this critique on masculinity it's just man hating feminism um and it's it's funny because I would say from my perspective I I don't consider it to be either of those things I think they both seem to be fairly kind of redundant criticisms of of what was going on and what was trying to be achieved in in both by Brett Easton Ellis or by Mary Harron with the script like with the They're screenplay. Missing the point, right? Isn't that yeah. missing the point of what he's trying to say? Yeah, I mean I mean if on on the Brett Easton I actually I read a really interesting interview with Brett Easton Ellis who you know I he's not he's a very marmite person if you've ever followed him on Twitter I've never actually listened to his podcast. Oh, I don't. Um, no, but he's he's uh, He's very, you know, he's in his fifties now. Um, he was obviously very edgy in the noughties and everything like that. And I think he's just one of those people that's carried that mentality through to him. Where twenty twenty three, everyone's too sensitive, so on and so forth. You know, he's he he doesn't he doesn't walk the PC line, if you like, if, that, right, if that's okay. the way you want to put it. So he is a very Marmite character, um, and. You know, uh, he he's come under a lot of flack. Um, I mean, there's so w- w- one thing that's been particularly unfair. I think there's a, there's often been a lot of speculation about his sexuality. He he's he's constantly been asked about it down the years, and his response to it has always been you know, number one: it's nobody else's fucking business. Yeah. But also, like, the, there's more of a point to that that he doesn't want people to like American Psycho, for example judge his work based upon him as a writer they they don't want people to 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 have any assumptions about what he's meaning or what so on and so forth they don't want people to project their own thoughts and feelings about him or his sexuality onto any of his characters right, okay. or anything like that um and he yeah he's 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 avoided that for a long time and i think i'm not 100% on the timeline but I think one of these Twitter infractions that he's had is that I think from what I understand, there was a prominent 
LGBTQ plus charity that was running a campaign um, to address you know, suicide amongst young LGBTQ plus people. And their kind of creative on this was, it gets better. You know, hold on, it gets better. And I think he quote tweeted one of these uh, campaigns and said, it really doesn't. Um, and yeah, and he and do you know? I mean, that's what God. he's like when I say he's like the shock yeah. jock. Yeah. Um, but I think this led to a, a bigger conversation about you know, basically him coming at him basically being outed as a response to this to basically say, look, I can say what the fuck I want because I've got my own dog in the fight on this, even if it's perhaps not the most sensitive use of that. And then he's he has spoken more about. Patrick Bateman, he said that previously Patrick Bateman was, oh, it's just all based on his father, his Republican father that couldn't accept him as this kind of liberal creative type who had an alternative lifestyle, as he called it at the time. But he said, you know, as he's gotten older, he's more happy to just say, look, yeah, fuck it. Like, I was a lot like Patrick Bateman in the 80s. I lived in New York, took a lot of coke, hung around in all the hip spots and I was a 27-year-old man, as Patrick Bateman is in this, who didn't know what the fuck he was. He didn't know if he was gay. He didn't know if he was straight. He had fucking hated the world. He hated everyone around him. He hated himself. And a lot of the, a lot of the themes in the book are, are his own personal projections of, of those feelings of discontent. So one might read, I, you know, the, the particular interview I read didn't, didn't go into this, but one might read a lot of the kind of violence against women probably is a lot of his own internalized, you know, questioning of who he is and what he is, you know, this kind of, maybe it's not so much an attack on women. It's an attack on the idea of him having to be straight, having to only kind of, find women attractive because of a repressed background or what i don't know i don't you know that's that's kind of where i would fill the blanks on that so i don't outwardly see it so much as a as a as him despising women or anything like that and it's more to the point that it's it's anything it's it's destroying convention right patrick bateman is he's trying to find a connection in anything the the everyday doesn't mean anything to him. He he's, he's like you know, we keep saying he's empty. He's an empty vessel. He's looking for meaning in anything. He's looking for meaning with these meandering monologues about Whitney Houston, about face creams, about getting a reservation at a restaurant. Like there's there's nothing that touches him at all. So what he wants to do is to feel something, to destroy things. You know, to yeah. destroy things that should be wonderful, that should be pure, that should be beautiful. The love, the you know sex that that kind of intimacy that you can share with another person he wants to turn that into something that's violent and horrible and rage-filled because it's not enough for him to just have that normal human interaction with somebody else um and uh, you know i don't think the film veers from that i don't think the film is saying that all of these men are that men are in somehow inherently kind of weak or are prone to this kind of thing. I think it's talking about a very particular type of guy that, like you said at the very top, Ben, we all know. Like, okay, yeah. we don't all know axe murderers, hopefully, but we know these, this, this, I guess, this destructive type of guy who doesn't care very much about the people around him. It's all about what he can get, you know. Um, 
and so yeah i don't see it as like a, a, a as that and I, I think maybe this there's probably more there's a wider contextual point to this that i'm probably missing because i wasn't old enough at the time about like i was saying the panic at the time about the attack on you know masculinity american masculinity in particular um the all-american guy being replaced by these swanky suits in the north in america you know um so I don't know. I mean, what did you did you take any thing from it when you watched it? For me, well, you kind of a, a bit of a weird one, but I actually felt watching it this time around that his character was almost asexual. Yeah, like so. It really struck me that he was looking at himself in the mirror while he's while he's doing the like while he's supposed to be. Everything is feelingless. You know, there's no. He's never into any of the women that are in the that are in in those situations with him. They're all just means to an end. They're means to an end for a fantasy that he doesn't want. Yeah. You know, because really, what he's fantasizing about is killing them. But it's not just women that he kills. You know, because he fantasizes about killing the um, uh, Lewis Carruthers. I think his name is the ginger yeah. guy sort of fantasizes about going to the toilet and killing him just for having a better business card than him. Like, he's not really engaged in anything other than just wanting total destruction. And I think, again, like, to, to your point just then, you, you know how we, we were saying that like, we all know those people that are, they're kind of ruthless and they're, they'll do anything to make sure that they're going to, whatever the situation is, they're going to come out on top. Like... To the cost of anyone else, it doesn't matter, and they don't really mind the idea of. They don't think about yeah, but you look a bit weird, or people might think you're a bit of a dick, or people might sort of be like yeah, like don't trust that person, or don't hang around with that person. Is it all? It is is just completely. Everything is driven by a very centralised and internalised feeling that you are the most important person in any situation ever. And what's kind of scary is not just knowing, not just knowing and coming across people like that, but knowing that actually like it's a fairly, the, the film flirts with the idea that it's not much different between him and the other Wall Street guys. You know, he's a psychopath and he is, these tendencies and he is like he's thinking about this stuff and visualizing killing people and and potentially going out and and actually doing that there's nothing really to separate him from his colleagues they're all they're all real shits you know they're all kind of in the same boat as him saying exactly the same things as as him and they're never presented as any different you know he's we see him kind of peeling off his his identity, but it could just as easily be all of them. And I think that was quite a, a, a obviously the film is making that point about materialism and making that point about the fact that capitalism at that time meant that people were just obsessed with having the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Um, but I think equally scary is this idea that it seems like all of them are disconnected. None of them really kind of seem to care about anything other than themselves. So I didn't read it as a as an attack on women, though I can see that. I can see that if you read it that way, 
there's plenty of things that you could lean into to say, well, it's because of this, 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 and this. I actually sort of thought it was a more scathing satire on the idea of the disconnection of of people full stop in yeah. that particular circle to anything, you yeah. know, just anything at all. Look, the, even human beings are a mere commodity. They are something yeah. to be bought or owned or just tossed away like rubbish you know yeah it's it's yeah it's on the on the on the nail mate like you know can i use that then to kind of segue in semi-neatly into the business card scene oh because i was waiting for this one i, was I for this. just love that scene oh, it's unbelievable isn't it you can, you can watch it in full on youtube and it's just a good oh one. it's the whole scene oh mate i'm gonna do that a couple more times i, I it's just there's so much to enjoy just in yeah. that single scene is is when they ask him what color is that is that like they're like is that eggshell he's like that's bone you know <laughs> yeah oh, like, and his voice considering that he's a he's a brit you know he yeah. does he's it's flawless his accent is so good so it, good it's just i mean to me it's like it's the most brilliant part of the satire that all their fucking business cards are the same. They're just business cards with a bit of type on them. But yeah. they're all having this the tiniest divergence in one card to the other. Well, he's even got a watermark. It's, it's, <laughs> right? Is is sparking up this this fury in all of them. Like that they can barely conceal. It's not just I mean, his is the most acute, right? He's sweating and Carruthers asking, Are you okay, Patrick? You're sweating. You can know, I tell? But, can I give you something on that? You will yeah. never believe this. He managed to manipulate. I don't know how he's managed to do this, but Mary Harron said that in every single scene, he managed to manipulate the sweat, so he sweats what? at the same moment in every scene. No matter how many times they did the take, he would call back down and then make himself sweat. At that moment, of some the actors scene. can like cry on demand. They can sweat on demand. How right? unbelievable is that? Like the like, level of commitment that you go to, that you like, will somehow sort of like tense your body up so much that you'll be starting to sweat for that moment. Like it's like a that's reverse incredible. Prince Andrew, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you find him down at Pizza Express as well. Yeah, meerkat Mondays. <laughs> you imagine Prince Andrew just dining out on a meerkat Monday, bit of two for one pizza, and in to see a film, in to see Fast X. Oh, um, God. <laughs> but that that just that whole sequence, I just thought. That then I I kind of had this little um, little aside in that I was like. We kind of do do that, though, don't we? Have you ever been... If you've ever been... Does this sound like I'm just sledging influences again? But if you've ever been at a kind of event where there's a lot of younger influences around that are sort of... that are in a, a big on a, a certain social media platform, or whatever, I do feel like I see that quite often. People yeah. will be like, oh, what, what, what's your handle on Instagram? What's your handle on Twitter? And you'll see they're this flicker when they realize that the person they've just asked is like double the size of them 
Because it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not. There is no value. There's no real, real life value to having a massive following on a on a certain platform. But you do see people just be like, "Oh, you've got more followers than me, and it drives me mad." Sort of thing. It's total irrelevance. But for some reason, we've attached some sort of sense of value into that kind of thing. It's it's a, it's almost like a social credit system now, isn't it? That's the yeah. thing. But that's what business cards were, you know. Yeah. They they actually had some sort of value to them. But we're all just we're, we're all kind of walking around trading on a, a number next to our name on a, a on a social media platform that doesn't really matter. It's it's quite incredible that we kind of get this far further forward and and things are kind of exactly the same. But I did read that that this that the film itself like had a massive cultural impact in terms of how people saw the banking industry and oh, yeah. how they saw traders, which is quite nice because, I mean, it, it just, it, the amount of sort of um, distaste that I have for, for people after watching, for those sorts of people after watching The Big Short, for example, it's quite nice to know that that was a, a sentiment that was shared. Well, it's just funny. I don't know if it's ever part of the satire intentionally or not. But one of the things I really kind of contemplated when I watched that is that, you know, you can see the world that they exist within and you will find Patrick Bateman's actions objectionable because he's, you know, it's very visceral. He's he's literally murdering people with his bare hands. But as you say, you know, to your point on things like The Big Short, the actions of most of the people within that industry have far-reaching and huge consequences for hundreds of thousands if not millions of people probably billions of people around the mm. world the the chaos the destruction that they will cause to other people's lives in the pure pursuit of capital of greed of things that of of numbers numbers in a in a digital account somewhere that don't really even mean anything numbers that are so now inflated that people couldn't even spend them in a lifetime are just never enough that they're having to squeeze squeeze it more and more and more constantly and you know we're we're all living now with the is it, and it's been going on since the 80s right i'm not i'm not going to get to all my soapbox about this stuff but this this culture this capitalist boom this has been going on since the 80s and mm. you know we are now especially in britain we are in that what they call late stage capitalism where you've got a select few people who are extremely extremely wealthy and large swathes of the people yeah even even your kind of middle you know I'll, I'll happily say like you know i believe probably me and my wife's household income is more than my parents was but my parents owned a house you know they had yeah. a, they probably had a more comfortable life than we did and this is you know this is all this is all where we've all, all all ended up, right? As a result of these these people doing this thing, but we we still have such a hard time. There'll probably still be a couple of people that listen to this and think, "Oh, what's this socialist bollocks? Get off the soapbox!" <laughs> all that type of thing. There, there's just this protective aura around these people that wreak havoc and destruction purely in the it's name bizarre. of greed. And bizarre. You know, is that the only way to make you think to see one of them murdering people, to see them chopping people up? Like, you know, because they're basically doing that. They're destroying people's lives anyway. 
know, yeah, ran, uh, ran over, ran over. No, but it, it like it's 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 so accurate, it's so so true, and it's it's kind of it it is quite um when you put it that way, it's quite uh yeah, it's incredibly in your face the way that that the film does it, but it's it's so thought provoking, and it's it is like I mean, this is a great opportunity to go on to the end and actually kind of see where we get to where did you where do you land do you think that the acts that he's committed are are committed or do you think it's all a all a daydream oh i think i think it's all yeah it's all a delusion um i think it's it's kind of signposted throughout you see kind of his bottles of pills um the fact he's kind of very consciously just wrapped up in this idea that his own mask of sanity is slipping um i did i did find it quite confusing the bit when he goes to the house and the woman's really edge you know at the end when she go when he goes to paul allen's apartment expecting to clean it up and the the real estate yeah um, yeah, yeah. There, i think you better leave um and he just kind of backs out but yeah i it took me a few to, i think i remember the first time i watched it thinking like what the fuck? It was one of those yeah, endings. Yeah, what's happened film. there? Yeah, where I don't really get it. Um, and the book is even more ambiguous. Um, so I did, you know, I went probably looking for answers there and didn't find it. But I think yeah, on the last couple of watches, I would say I'm firmly in the camp that this was his means of escaping. It was not only his, you know, his internalized rage at everything, at his own listlessness. Um, which he was enacting these horrific things in his head. And you've seen him, you know, drawing... His assistant finds all the sketches inside of his book of what he's been doing. I can imagine that that's probably most of it, you know, him just drawing these things, him going down these loopholes in his own head, um, killing people, and that's kind of where his, his daydreams are taking him to. And maybe at some point it would manifest in him acting killing somebody but i think for the film no i i, I don't believe he he killed everyone i think it was all a complete delusion i think i think one of the things is they start to make that kind of more clear especially towards the end when he just like shoots the police gu- car with a gun and, and it, it all explodes, explodes you know um <laughs> yeah and the the, a ca- the cash machine saying feed me a stray cat stuff like that it's showing yeah. you that he's he's having a moment um what about you? Where, where do you land on it? So this is my scorching hot take. I think oh. he did half the stuff. You do? I think he's. I think he's killed people. I come what? to the end of the film and I'm like, I, I think it's ambiguous. Yeah, it and is. And I think it's kind of like there to kind of tease you, but I read it as he's done some of that stuff. Like there's some bits of it that he's done, but where he is in trouble is he doesn't know what he's done and he doesn't know what he's not done. So he yeah. returns to the table and he's sitting there and he's just like, "I'm I'm screwed. I've got no, I just don't know where I am anymore, and I've now completely disconnected from my reality. I don't know anything anymore, and my confession means nothing." You know, I was like, that is such a cool line. That is so yeah. cool. But there's like equally, there's like little things like you know when he's at the um, he's at the the laundrette, and you don't know whether there is actually blood on the sheets or not yeah. because she's screaming at him and he's screaming at her, and he can't sort of like make sense of it. 
but then equally there are other things like there are other bits where you're like no he does seem to be within reality you know and the people that i think that he probably does kill are people that society wouldn't realize are missing and i feel like that's kind of like a bit of a comment as well that it's kind of saying right he he kills a homeless guy you know he kills a prostitute it's kind of people that maybe that that for some reason we've decided or the film has decided is they're not valuable people um to these wall street executives you know that that those are the people that suddenly go missing you know those are the ones Mm. that that potentially it could have happened to but i i I, it struck me this time around that i sort of sat there and i was like no i think i think he has done some of that stuff i don't think it's all just made up and i think that that is perfect there's perfect conflict that Paul Allen has been seen in London and that he doesn't even know at, at times you're sort of left to question whether it, Patrick Bateman is even his name because so many people call him so many other things. Yeah, but, that, but that I mean, like, this is because well, you've also got that thing as well with the lawyer. You're like, does the lawyer even know if he's had lunch with Paul Allen because they all mistake each other for Yeah, because they don't know who the hell each other is, yeah. which is just, yeah, it's wicked. I, and I thought that was such a cool ending and she sort of... Um, Mary Heron said that she she didn't want she didn't want it to be as cut and dry as sort of like a one of those essays and it was all a dream you know yeah. she wanted it to be ambiguous she wanted it to be there being a kind of argument there and I also kind of like the, I sort of did that thing you know after we talked about the Truman Show being like oh where does it go next you know after the Truman Show what yeah. happens once he walks out the door I did I sort of did a similar thing and with this and I was like I wonder where it goes next you know mm-hmm. because for him probably life doesn't if he has committed those crimes he'll get caught eventually but even still he's going to just kind of continue in this existence you know he's just going to continue in this crazy sort of materialistic race to the bottom like everyone around him and I, I, I sort of thought at some point, I, I think I kind of like needed it. I was like, at some point, he's gonna, he's, he's got to catch up with him. At some point, he's got to get found out. Um, Isn't it funny though how the lawyer's instant reaction to it was to say, "You sent me that voicemail. That was hilarious." You know? Yeah. Like, it yeah. just. It, it well, so that happened the then, right? So the voicemail <laughs> happened. Yeah. So he did, at the very least, make a phone call. So, like, I quite like that you kind of... I'm sure if I do another rewatch, I could probably trace back some... Because it's all so intentional. But I'm sure you yeah. could find bits that categorically must have taken place, you know? So, because c- he must have... Well, maybe he didn't go into Paul Allen's apartment. Maybe he technically didn't, because when he rocks back up again... She was like, there was no ad in the paper, like you said. So maybe he hasn't. Oh, I don't know. Is it like? But I love the fact that it is ambiguous. It it really did it for me. I just um, think it, it heightens the whole point, doesn't it? Of of like you're saying at the end, him saying my confession means nothing as to whether or not he has done these things. Nothing's going to happen to him because he exists in the one percent, and he can just do what he's 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 free to do as he pleases, but he doesn't even get the gratification of knowing that he's actually done this or having anybody else know that he's done it. He's still 
empty and alone and without purpose. It just God, doesn't it's matter. Such you know? a good film, man. It's such a good film. That ending is just so good. Yeah. It's so and it kind Did... of like just speeds up, doesn't it? Everything just starts happening and you're like, Oh, this is sick. So when did good. you last watch it? I think I think a couple of years ago, because it's one of those films that I kind of treat myself to. You know when you've left a little bit of time yeah. in between and you're like, oh, American Psycho, I could watch that. And I hadn't watched it, in a, it for a couple of years' time, so just enough time's passed for me to forget a couple of the little bits. I'd forgotten yeah. about the, the cash point with the cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'd forgotten that he just turned around and shoots the old lady, <laughs> real, yeah. which, is, which is really funny. Like, yeah. it shouldn't be funny. But this is to come back to the point around this kind of like woman hating misogyny thing. I think with scenes like that, you can see that it's not that. This is just a guy who's going through psycho- a psychotic episode and, and is a psychopath because he's trying to feed a cat to a cash machine and he turns around and shoots the old lady and the old lady's reaction is, whoa, I mean, <laughs> she's been shot in the head. I mean, <laughs> you know, this, it's so silly. This will bleed into our MVP uh, discussion, but like you're saying about the... the, the, the <sighs> the enjoy because i haven't seen this probably for five six years now and i actually i've always i've always loved the film i loved the book um and i still really really i didn't even have that sense of i haven't to be fair with any of the films we've watched i haven't had that feeling of like all right i know what happens i've seen this a hundred yeah. times before i've en- yeah. really enjoyed watching all of even forrest gump <laughs> but <laughs> I've, I've, I've enjoyed watching all these films back and Especially with this one, I didn't at all get that. Like, oh, this is the bit. I'm just gonna look at my phone for a bit because I kind of know what's going on here. I was still really yeah. invested in every single scene, every single frame of it, and so much of it, like, is I guess now because Christian Bale is Christian Bale megastar, and he probably was pretty big the last time I watched it, but you know now he's like a list. Seeing him as this like young raw actor it's the bits i love his like frenetic energy when he's you know like you say when he's talking to the 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 people in the dry cleaners be like can you talk to these people you know and like and when he's like (laughs) talking to to the lawyer at the end and he's like why couldn't it happen you stupid bastard you know like it's the way he's, to sit he's like, so erratic it. isn't he yeah it's it just amazing. like crack me up and that's like you're talking about it's so interesting hearing he can like sweat on demand like the phone call or when he's talking to the lawyer or when he's in the bathroom with Carruthers just to sweat what does he on say demand. when he's about to kill Paul Allen he just turns around and goes hey Paul yes yeah. <laughs> 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 he goes in with an axe <laughs> Oh, it's so, so good. But it's, it's, you sort of made the point earlier. I, I, I do just want to jump back to this quick because it's something I, I did mean to talk about. It is so much more affecting, isn't it, that there is real awful blood and gore, but you don't see it too viscerally on screen. A mm-hmm. lot of it yeah. really yeah. happens off screen. Yeah, with the cut, the chainsaw, you don't actually see it going. You don't see Paul Allen's head getting split open with the axe. The fact that it's there, the implied notion of somebody's head being massively just carved yeah. into in the way that it is with that axe the brutality of it is actually way more affecting than seeing some kind of cgi or practical effect of a head being smashed to pieces i think anyway yeah um, particularly when you play it to the soundtracks that he's talking about yeah you know it just like it's it, it's a really um 
yeah, it's really affecting and and powerful. Um, There's a film, um, Funny Games. It's a it's a German film. I've never seen that. It's, well, it's a German film by a, a director called Michael Haneke. It came out a couple of years before American Psycho. It works on like I think you actually like like it. It, it borrows. Um, it, it it's very similar actually in 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 its themes and stuff to American Psycho, but a lot of the the action the, the action like the bloody stuff never happens on screen because the director's whole point was it's so much more affecting than seeing than being connected with like this thing that somebody can be pulled out because they don't think the graphics are very good or they don't think the way it was done was very good or it looks a bit silly or something like that just knowing that somebody in one situation has had their head blown off with a shotgun when you're not <laughs> expecting that to happen and suddenly you know it cuts away looks at a tv and then you go back to the scene and there's just a headless body lying on the floor and you're like <laughs> whoa that just happened is like really it's actually an austrian film not a german film um there's but... a really similar thing with um in joker with joaquin phoenix yeah where after he shoots de niro in the head and then kind of does this weird sort of shuffle dance thing yeah and he's sort of like huh, and then just kind of shoots him in the head again and then and then kind of like 30 seconds later the, it cuts back to him and he's just sitting there and then the body is still there yeah. just in in the shot while he's kind of like awkwardly laughing it is it's sort of it really does it, it sort of really throws you doesn't it? it really kind of like it is very discombobulating you're kind of a bit all over the place um Right, I've got a, I've got another. I'm not going to say scorching hot take because I don't right. think I can look past Christian Bale for MVP. I mean, when you think that he can sweat on demand, it's kind of like that's just unbelievable. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I do, I do have a shout for the assist, and I don't know if you know this already or know who I'm going to go for here. But Willem Dafoe did. In this film, he's obviously playing the he's playing the character of the the detective trying to work out what's going on. Mm. He did every single scene or every single ver- like um, take three times. He did one where he acted as if he knew every single thing that was going on in Bateman's mind. One where he was curious to find out what was going on. And one where he didn't have a clue what was going on in Bateman's mind. That's cool. So when um, the director cut the film, she would cut between these different versions of Willem ah. Dafoe to make the audience consistently like, "Well, what the fuck's going on? Like, where are we? Does he know? Does he not know?" Because it really well, does throw you, doesn't it? Yeah, and when you know that and then watch it back, oh my god. It's unbelievable how there's just. I, little... I might have to watch those scenes back again now. Mate, it's incredible. He just does these little things with his eyes, like, the, the, I mean, we've seen him kind of do that because he does it in Spider Man as well, doesn't he? You know, I'm something yeah. of a scientist myself, yeah. and and the the whole kind of jump between this nice guy to Green Goblin, you know, where he's doing the scenes in the mirror and stuff. But. When you watch it back, it is, it's staggering. Just these little flickers in his face, like the little coy smile or the little friendly sort of... There's a, there's a thing where he kind of invites him out for lunch and in one part of the scene, it seems very friendly and kind of 
chatty and then suddenly it seems accusatory and like he's got him pincered and and I just thought wow the dexterity to do that just on a whim you know just flip from one to the other is is incredible he's brilliant isn't he oh unbelievable but I don't know about you I I I can't look past Christian Bale this is kind of almost Uh, one of those iconic tough to better this sort of thing yeah I yeah he's just he's phenomenal but he did do his, his, you know, GQ does the kind of like the, the roles that made me type thing. Yeah. Um, and he said that he's always wanted to try and do things that would try and that would people would try and use to define him and then would try and take on something even crazier to sort of to sort of show that he was never going to be defined by a role. You know, it's part of the reason why he took on Batman because he was like, "Yeah, let's see, like typecast me, and I'll try to break out of this one, which is like the ultimate hard thing to to escape from." But he's just outstanding. He's taken a bit of a turn lately, though, hasn't he? Sort of disappeared from prominence a little bit. That Amsterdam film he was in was a bit mm. of a flop, and you know, did I didn't go to cinema to watch that? Was it was it any good? No, I've not watched it either, mate. I, I it, it felt like a film I'd seen million times that kind of awards hungry paint by numbers type thing it just didn't it didn't appeal to me um, no. and with a lot of the stuff you know around about the director at the time I kind of was like I mm. just can't really be asked to, to watch this one at the moment really so yeah, yeah I gave it a miss I don't, that, is, that wasn't the full any... reason though wasn't there? it was more just because I just sort of thought the movie looks a bit boring <laughs> what has he got coming up he's got one film coming he's up he's not in Oppenheimer is he no, no, I can't wait for that, man. I can't oh, wait, mate. It's got to be no. Killian's Oscar. Has to be, man. Yeah, I'm such another a, trailer drop. Such a huge fan of his, like, uh, you know. What a meme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good, <laughs> so good. Right, the big one. Fine wine or war crime? I think it's a fine wine, mate. I think it's. I think it was ahead of its time. I think it's a. Uh, uh, like I said. I sort of pair it. I think it's a bit of a companion piece to something like The Sopranos where a lot of the concerns and a lot of fears that were being projected post-millennium as to what the future held, the disconnected society that was being born out of the information age, the technical era, the the internet, the birth of that, um, mixed with American as globalization the the failing of the kind of you know the the, the values should we say that held uh, a lot of society together that's, i mean that a lot of that is quite problematic as well in 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 its part but at least say you know but it's a commentary on that right precisely it's- and i think it, it's it signposts a lot of it and i think it's still massively relevant today i don't think it's aged badly at all i think if anything you know you could watch this and feel that it had been made in 2023 yeah I, i'm the same mate I, I i exactly the same i i i loved it i really really enjoyed watching it back like it like i said yeah. it's, a, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure for me sort of every couple of years watching this film and i i loved watching it and i didn't feel again i understand some of the probably some of the reluctance and the behavior towards women within the film but again i think it is a comment i think it is a satire i think it's it's making a point about the way that those character types behave and it's the film is the film is judging him 
You know, you're, yeah. you're as an audience member, you're invited to say, oh my God, this guy's a psychopath and he's removed from society. He lives on the periphery of society. He's not, not a part of it. There was a, there was a really interesting thing actually that I was going to mention earlier, but it's just kind of like, the, it's described as a, a, a sigma male, um, which is kind of like a, someone who, exists outside of the stereotypical stereotypical kind of like alpha male pyramid or whatever um and it's kind of like things like um doesn't conform to to expectations doesn't seek out a group comfortable being alone introverted stays outside of the social hierarchy and then bateman's character is that in a nutshell whilst Mm. pretending to be an alpha male you know so it's clearly a comment on on that it's clearly a a, a swipe uh at that juxtaposition i thought um but yeah i i'm in general i just i loved it absolutely loved it um where did we land on the ratings mate so imdb good start 7.6 out of 10 is this top 250 i reckon it is you know top 250 are you googling it yeah i'll grab that now yeah, you know, me and my uh, relationship with the IMDb top two fifty, right? <laughs> no, not in there. Can't believe it. Can't believe it. Oof, rotten Tomato, sixty-eight percent. What? Eighty-four percent from the audience, but sixty-eight percent from critics. Let's have a look and see what some of them were saying. Let's see. Let's see. So. Um, Washington Post Desson Thompson it's hard to summon up enthusiasm for a performance so rooted in bloody banality I mean as Patrick Bale's most emotionally pressing dilemma is chainsaw or butcher knife mm, not really not really on board with you there Desson David Anson from Newsweek conceptually this savage cartoon ends up as trapped in surfaces as its shallow anti-hero it's all dressed up with nowhere to go I'm not having that. No, not at all. Peter Rayner from New York Magazine. Clearly, Harren is sold on the Bateman as metaphor bit, and like Ellis, over-conceptualises everything. Again. Gosh, it's a bit much, isn't it? Yeah, no, I don't really agree with that. Do um, you want to go on to Metacritic? Yeah, let's have it. 64% as well, mate. Wow. No badge. 64%. Some of the uh, New York uh, New York Post, Jonathan Foreman, a misfiring black comedy oddly reminiscent of bad 90s movies about strippers being killed at bachelor parties. No, this, no, no. The Los Angeles Times, a stillborn, pointless piece of work. This is such an oversimplification. Listen, I'm giving it a, a BYOB five star, five popcorns. Oh, yeah. For me. Oh, I like, mate, I like how punchy you're going in with that. And I agree yeah. with you, mate. I think Absolutely. It's, it's a brilliant movie. It's quality, it. and and I watched it on a laptop this week, and I was I was whizzing up and down on trains all weekend, and I watched it on on the laptop twice, and it's a perfect kind of one to to stream, one to whack on in the evening on the TV, watching bed on an iPad. It's it's been a joy. I've loved it, mate. Absolutely loved it. After having a chat with Jill Scott, you're down on the train. Whipping American Psycho on. Yeah, it's you know. not exactly the most kind of like... I, I watched it on the way up to, to go and do the podcast. It's not the, the most uplifting thing in the world, but it's bloody engaging. 
Because like one of those things when she's like, you know, what do, how was the journey up here, Ben? Do you, uh, do you get up to much? Oh, yeah, I watched American Psycho on yeah, the train. Yeah, but it actually, it's really <laughs> funny. Like, that actually happened, and thankfully I got cut off halfway through my answer, and then we just <laughs> changed topics. I was like, that's not the, the that's kind of not the answer she would have been expecting. She'd be like, oh, right, right then. Cool. Bit weird. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I feel like she'd see the funny side, though. Yeah, absolutely. She has such a good sense of humour. But I don't think film's really her thing. So I'll, I'll, I'll have to ask her next time. She's but, in the um, Michael Owen school of films. Yeah, she, yeah. What, what was it? What's his film that's the one he's, film he's that he's seen? He's seen six films, I think. Hang on. What Michael... <laughs> let's see. What Michael Owen's six films. Michael... No, only eight films. Eight no. films. Michael Owen has only watched eight films ever. Because um, his tweet was watched my eighth ever film on the flight home, must have been bored. <laughs> Hashtag hate films. <laughs> so he says films I've been forced to watch: Rocky, Heat, Ghost, Jurassic Park, Cool Runnings, Sea Biscuit, Karate Kid, <laughs> Forrest Gump. I mean, that's a good selection of films, by the way. And that wasn't enough to move him. Wow. Do you know what? Okay, I'm going to take that as a sign. Because, would you like to know what I'm going to go for? I very much do, mate. I want to know of the three. Okay, so I'm going to write one. I'm going to write one of my options off because Michael Owen said it's one of the eight that he's seen. Oh, okay. So I'm going to I'm going to go very simple, and I'm going to apologise in advance because this is not. This is not a film that's going to take over your week. It's not a film that is going to kind of leave you scratching your head and, and kind of contemplating your existence, but it will make you laugh. And it's a film that I adore and I just love. And I also wanted to chuck into the mix that I keep going through and being like, who haven't we had yet? Out of the, out of the big names, who haven't we had? And we haven't had De Niro and I also wanted a comedy, so I'm going to go for Meet the Parents. Oh, mate, yes. <laughs> like, it's literally one of my favourite films. Oh, like, I'm so happy. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. my God, that was a gamble, <laughs> and I'm so glad I went with it. I was literally, oh. like, I was sitting here all, like, literally all afternoon. I was like, can I do Meet the Parents? Can I do Meet the Parents? If I'm doing De Niro, surely I've got to do Heat. But then I was like, no, but we need something funny. And I was like... I feel like we've done such like powerful films, but I'm just I I I love this film so much. It you know, makes I, I, me I laugh so much. I just watched so this much. just a few weeks ago as well. That's the oh, funny brilliant. thing. Brilliant, yeah. well, brilliant. A, of, a few months back, but bang, bang on. I watching you. You know, I can't. A... Oh, mate, and uh, th there's literally. I'm gonna ruin this for next week, but it, it, oh, if you're now about to do your homework, punt. if you're ba about to kind of watch meet the parents off the back of listening to this pod please please watch the scene where greg has to say grace and look at de niro's reaction <laughs> when he says something like to follow thee more nearly and then it cuts to de niro who just kind of looks up with this fish hook in his eyebrow like what the fuck is this guy talking about expression it is amazing it's literally every time i watch it i cry laugh it's incredible see also the puff the magic dragon scene in the car <laughs> i've got nipples greg can you milk uh. me 
<laughs> right, uh, I'm gonna ruin it. I gotta stop. I'm gonna ruin it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make what sure you get involved in the comments. Hit us with some stuff that we've missed. Leave us a rating and a review. Um, and yeah, get watching. Meet the parents. What a choice. <laughs>